Hey everyone, I hope you're ready to pay good attention during this episode, because I don't want anyone to get left behind on their understanding of the end times. Anyone? Get it? No? Alright, well, I think my dad jokes at the beginning of every episode are getting worse, but my name is Ray Burns, and I want to encourage Christians to think biblically about every area of their lives so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. And if you couldn't tell by my kind of outdated 1995 book reference, we are going to be thinking biblically about the Antichrist, or the beast, as we see in the book of Revelation. Now, on one hand, this is a standalone episode, but it's also going to serve as kind of a run-in to the topic that I'm really wanting to discuss next episode, which is going to be the mark of the beast. But I figure before we talk about, you know, the mark of the beast, we need to know about the beast who has this mark, whatever it may be. And the reason that I'm wanting to talk about this now is because there is a lot of speculation out there today about what the mark of the beast is. And if we're really honest, if you've been in Christianity for you know a few decades, there's always speculation. Everything is the, is the Antichrist. Everything is the mark of the beast. And when it comes to how we are understanding these mysterious things in the book of Revelation, a lot of us are getting our understanding from things like Christian media, such as the Left Behind series. And, you know, even today, people still will talk about the end times, talk about Revelation, and basically admit that, you know, yeah, I read in, you know, the Left Behind series, this and that. And, you know, while it's a good series, it's not, it, it's, it's entertainment, first of all. And so, as with all entertainment, there is a compromise made when it comes to accuracy for the sake of good storytelling. It does make it a bad thing, but it does mean that it needs to have its proper place, and that is not as a teaching tool for God's people. People will also get their understanding about things like the mark from sensational websites or news sources or whatever. People who are, you know, they're, they're trying to get views or trying to get clicks or listens or whatever. And so, they are saying things that are you know, kind of really out there, very speculative, you know, very exciting, and they they fill us with fear, but they're not terribly biblical. Or we might just have our understanding about the end times from just hearsay from other Christians. You know, my pastor said this, or my friend said this, or I grew up believing that. And so when it comes to thinking about the end times, and especially, like I said, the Antichrist, the Mark of the Beast, we, we approach it with a lot of fear and with a lot of wild accusations. And a lot of times, if you uh, pay attention to, you know, especially uh, conservative Christian circles, a lot of things get accused of being this mark because there is something that we as Christians don't understand or that we just don't like. And so we kind of just build it up as this most supreme evil thing to ultimately justify our dislike of it. And so we paint things as enemies, not because we're being biblically accurate, but because it's easy for us to do. And so, like I said, this episode, we're going to just be talking about who this beast is, this this guy, this being, this creature. You know, what is this beast that talks that's talked about in Revelation? You know, and, and especially in this episode, I want to really understand primarily what his purpose is. Because when we understand the purpose of the beast that is revealed to us in Revelation, we're going to be better able to understand what this mark means, why it exists, and why people are going to take it. And so, by the end of this episode, my goal is that you will feel better equipped to be able to identify the Antichrist or the beast, and to better understand if we as Christians should fear the Antichrist coming or fear the mark that 
you know, we, we don't want to accidentally take. And so before I really start, um, I want to lay the groundwork on where I'm coming from, what my perspective is on this, because within Christianity, there are two major ways of understanding the book of Revelation. I am coming at it from a progressive dispensationalist perspective or interpretation. Now, if that means nothing to you except for fancy sounding words that makes you want to tune out, the core things to understand for how I'm understanding Revelation are that I don't believe that the the prophetic events in Revelation have taken place. So the vision that John was given, I don't believe those have taken place yet. I also believe through that that Christ will, in the future, return and immediately remove his people from the world for a set period of time. You may have heard of this as the rapture. And then finally, I believe that there will be a literal seven-year tribulation and a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth before the final battle with Satan and then the, the final judgment of all people before God remakes the heaven and earth perfectly. Now, the reason I say all that is because there is, um, you know, perhaps a more popular view throughout the world, maybe not in America, but throughout the world, that you know, maybe the events in Revelation have already taken place and that the things that we are seeing were, were carried out through, you know, the Roman emperors and the Roman Empire and things like that. And so if that is your interpretation of Revelation, what I'm talking about probably won't make much sense to you because as far as you know, you know, we kind of dusted our hands of it and Revelation is all said and done. But if you clicked on this episode because you are curious about how we can understand who the Antichrist is, then I'm going to assume that you agree with where I'm coming from because you're, you also are believing to one degree or another that the Antichrist is still coming or maybe here, and you are keeping an eye out for you know what could be all these changes that we see coming and especially the mark of the beast and things like that. So with that being laid out, what I want to do in this episode is look at primarily Revelation chapter 13, where we really see this this person come onto the scene and just look at what do we know about this beast that's going to have a mark? What do we know about the Antichrist? And, you know, why do I say those names interchangeably? And so how we're going to do this is, um, you know, probably one of my favorite ways to go through biblical truth, and that is just going kind of line by line, verse by verse, or really passage by passage, and just looking at what do we know? How do we take what is being said and understand it with what has come before and things like that? So the first thing I want to talk about is in terms of this beast that we're talking about is that when the Bible talks about it, it seems to be two different things. It seems to be both a kingdom and also an individual person. Now, I say that because we first get a hint of these this beast imagery in the book of Daniel. Daniel has a vision of uh, beasts, and in retrospect, we see that the first three of these beasts were uh, great kingdoms that have risen and fallen. And so when he is seeing it, when God is revealing this to him, we can look back and see that, you know, these beasts weren't like an actual, you know, mythical creature, but but just a picture of just these giant empires and kind of the power and maybe even the ferocity that they possessed. And so when we pick it up uh, and Daniel sees this fourth beast that I believe we're going to be talking about today, this is in Daniel chapter 7, verse 7. It says, And after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. So again, on its own, 
it's very artistic, but not terribly descriptive. It doesn't give us a whole lot to go on. Uh, but I think what we can say is that most likely in line with the previous visions that Daniel had had, that this is probably a nation that will rise up. Now, I want to say, though, that as we get into Revelation, we see that this from this empire, from this great kingdom or great nation or great government system is going to come a single individual who will kind of encapsulate just this greater threat or this great enemy to God's people. And now I'm going to be calling this person the Antichrist. And the reason for that is, one, because that's what most people know him as, but also because if I keep saying beast, 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 well, as we're going in this episode, eventually we're going to get to another beast in Revelation 13. And so I don't want there to be any confusion. So for just sake of simplicity, I'm calling him the Antichrist. Now, the reason I'm calling him the Antichrist and why Christians in general call him the Antichrist comes from 1 John 2.18, which says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. So here, John is just kind of laying out that, you know, there are many Antichrists. In other words, people who are anti-Christ, against Christ. But there's this implication that there is kind of a big one coming, you know, a main one, one that is going to be kind of not just someone who doesn't like God, but will literally stand against everything that is Jesus Christ. And so the reason that I think this person is linked to this beast from Daniel and why this great nation kind of turns into a single individual that we call the Antichrist is actually going to be in the very beginning of the chapter we're talking about. So in Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 to 4, it says, And I saw a great beast rising out of the sea, with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority." Now, I'm going to pause here. So, again, this is kind of this is where I'm saying that we have a nation or some kind of larger leadership thing, government body, kingdom, whatever it is, it's going to be. But here's where it's going to transition into a single individual. Uh, so it goes on to say, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? So again, we see that on this head there seems to be, or from, from within the, the grouping of, it, of these heads, one of these heads seems to stand out. It seems to receive a mortal head wound, and from it the earth starts worshipping this beast, this creature because of what happens to this individual. So that's why I say it seems to start as a nation, and from this nation comes an individual who takes what what God's Word says as a wound on the head, or a mortal wound. Now, this could be a literal wound, right? It could be, you know, an assassination attempt. It could be, you know, any anything that actually literally and physically kills this Antichrist person. It could also be a metaphorical power loss. So in other words, its head is bruised. You know, if you think about the language in Genesis 3 about how, you know, Christ would bruise Satan's head, um, not literally he's going to be stamping on his head, but it's this picture of this defeat, this crushing defeat. And whatever it is, whether, uh, you know, someone's kingdom or power literally falls and they rise back up or whether they literally die and resurrect, there is something about this return that strikes not just a few people, but literally the entire world. The whole world stops 
and says, whoa, who is like the beast? Who can fight against this person? Who, who could possibly compare? And so here we see very early on that there is a, a sense of worship, a sense of awe, a sense of God-likeness to this person. And it's going to lead to worship. And that is the key thing that I want us to pay attention to, is worship is the central theme of Revelation 13, but also really everything that we are seeing in these end times, in these, you know, places where people are speculating, you know, who it is, what's going on, when is it coming? So when it comes to this worship, again, I'm going to be honest and say we're not sure. We're not sure what exactly this worship will be. Is it going to be a godlike worship like we see in North Korea where they literally think that this ruler is is a god, is, is descended from the gods? Maybe. It could also be like we see in modern politics today where people base everything about their lives on their dedication to a particular individual. And so this idea of worship could simply be that they are seeing this person as, you know, an answer to prayer or everything the world needs or exactly what they want, whatever it is. But there is going to be a devotion, maybe like nothing we've actually seen before in, you know, our Western mindset. But what is unique about this isn't just that it's going to be, you know, a politician from, you know, England, you know, maybe someone from the royal family or someone in North Korea or someone in America. It's going to be a worldwide thing. Wherever this person comes from, whatever this great nation that spawns this individual represents, it's not just going to be a group of people in a part of the world worshiping them. It's going to be all people worshiping because it says the whole earth marvels as they follow this beast. And the whole world is going to be saying, who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? In other words, they're going, the entire world is going to be worshiping this person and whatever that means. And when I say everyone, I mean literally everyone, everyone who is of the earth. And that language is key here because we're going to see that there are two groups of people that are going to be existing in Revelation, either people who are of the kingdom of God, in other words, those who are not of this world, we are in the world, but not of it, or it's there are these people who are of the world. They belong to the world, to the world system. In other words, God's enemies. So here we are seeing that everyone who does not worship Christ is going to worship this beast, this antichrist. So that is what we, we can immediately know about this person is that he is going to demand and call for global worship. And everyone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ will worship him. So Maybe we need to ask right now, is there anyone like that in our world? But let's continue. The next thing we know is that this Antichrist will be a direct enemy of God. And when I say that, I don't mean like how we say that all unsaved people are enemies of God, right? It's not like in James 4 where it talks about how, you know, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. That's not what we're talking about. This Antichrist will literally be outspokenly, clearly, and obviously blaspheming God to the degree that no follower of Jesus Christ is going to possibly have any question that this person is anti-Jesus Christ. And we get that by simply reading on, picking right back up where we left off. So in Revelation 13, verses 5 to 6, it says, And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. 
So again, a very clear picture that there's going to be no mistake that this person is going to speak out directly against God. It's not going to be someone who's just, you know, you know, this atheist who doesn't like God, or it's not going to be, you know, someone from another religion who doesn't worship the same God. It's not going to be this silent thing. It's going to be clear and obvious that this person hates God and will be outspoken throughout the entire world. All his worshipers are going to hear that he hates God, that God is nothing, that God is fake, whatever it is. And everyone is going to be believing him and eating him up if they are of this world. But it's not only God that the Antichrist hates. He also hates God's people. And we see that once again, as we just pick right up. So verse seven to 10 now, it says, also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And I want to I want to pause here because we hear war, and especially today, you know, oh, they go and come for me. Well, I'll take them out first. He's making war in the sense of he is attacking us. He is out for us. He is he is demolishing the people of God. And the reason I don't want us to get this picture of you know we are at war and it's our guns versus their guns is what's going to come next. But I just I I want to set the stage now. We as Christians will not be fighting against the Antichrist or any of his people. But moving on. It says, and authority was given to it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world and the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. So, what do we see here? We see direct attacks on God's people, right? We see that he has authority, this Antichrist has authority over everyone in the world. Everyone is worshiping this Antichrist, and we know that it's literally everyone because it says everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, which is literally everyone who, who isn't saved, who, who has not been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we see that, again, it's going to be global. And we also see that Christians are going to be imprisoned and we're going to be massacred, but we don't fight back because it says if anyone is to be taken captive to, to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword, he must be slain. So there is this, cl this clarity in God's people that we are going to know that it's not our job to fight against this, that we, we knew this is coming. This isn't a surprise to us. And God doesn't call us to fight. He doesn't call us to kill other people in defense of ourselves. If we are going to be imprisoned for following Jesus Christ, then to prison we go. If we are going to be executed for following Jesus Christ, then take our heads, take our lives. Because God's not calling us to fight. He's not calling us to resist, to overthrow this Antichrist, to overthrow the government, to protect you know, what's ours. What does God call us to? He calls us to enduring faithfulness. He calls us to stay faithful to Jesus Christ, not getting wrapped up in the affairs of this world, but knowing that we are not of this world, that we are not called to be like other people in the world. That's why it says in verse 10, here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. In other words, all this is going to be happening and all we are called to do is endure, to stay faithful, to keep trusting in the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Now, as this is going on, we see another player enter the stage. And this is a good time to kind of pause and just talk about who we have in the story right now. So if you remember reading in the very first part, it talks about this, there's this dragon. And we love dragons. Dragons are awesome, right? Well, no, not, not this time. So we see three people mentioned. We see a dragon, a first beast, and now we're going to see a second beast. And you remember I said we're calling him Antichrist to avoid confusion. 
So the dragon we know is identified as Satan. And this is back in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. I'll let you read it if you're curious. The first beast is this Antichrist, the per- this person that we've been talking about the whole time. And now we're going to have a second beast come on stage. Now, this beast isn't given a title yet, but if we read on um, in places like Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, it identifies these people as a trio. We've got the dragon, the, the Antichrist or the beast, and the false prophet. And so the second beast we're going to start calling here the false prophet. Again, they don't say it in the passage, but we know from reading on throughout the rest of Revelation that who we're going to be introduced to now is who we are going to call the false prophet. So once again, picking right up in Revelation 13 verses 11 to 15. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its present, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth." telling them to make an image for the beast and that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So there's a lot going on there, and some of the wording is a little confusing, but let's just break it down in broad, in broad pictures here. So we see that this, this third player comes on the stage, and they perform great signs, even as this says, making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. What does that mean? We don't really know. I get flashbacks to the prophets of Baal. Maybe that's what this is in reference to, you know, literally fire coming down. It could be missiles. It could be lasers from, you know, the Bill Gates satellite. I don't really know. Nobody does. But we do know that whatever this false prophet is doing They aren't just being really impressive. They aren't calling people to worship this false prophet. They are doing what a prophet does. This prophet is calling people to worship this beast, this one who was wounded in the head and yet lived. And the whole point of this false prophet is to deceive all the people who dwell on the earth, remembering that that language is those who do not belong to Jesus Christ. So everyone who is basically seeing through all this you know, God's people, we're, we're sitting here saying, it is so clear. There's no question what's going on here. There's no Christians debating back and forth. There's not some who, you know, are living in terror and others act like it's nothing. It's going to be ridiculously obvious what's happening here. But those who are not in Jesus Christ are going to be deceived by this false prophet, and they're going to be called to further worship this Antichrist. And it says at the very end that those who don't worship the image of the beast are going to be slain. And again, we're seeing flashbacks to things like uh, Nebuchadnezzar and, you know, saying, you know, bow down and worship this golden statue or die. And so, again, here we're just getting this picture of this of the world here. There is, you know, just clear divide God's people and and not God's people, you know, people who follow Christ or the Antichrist. And if you don't get in line wherever you are in the world, there's a good chance you're dead or imprisoned, but probably dead. And it's not just this thing where it's this oppressive government. I would hazard a guess that people around the world are A-OK with this, that people are saying, yes, death to these Christians, death to those who follow this God. Now, why are they saying that? We don't really know. But that's the world that we're seeing right now is that the entire world has turned against God and his people. 
and that everything is so obvious that there's no speculations, there's no you know news programs saying what if maybe, there's no people making books and selling it in bookstores talking about you know I've I've deciphered these signs. No, we're going to be too busy realizing what's truly and obviously in front of us with no debates among Christianity, and we're going to be living in the middle of it. So we're going to pause here at uh, Revelation chapter 13, verse 15, and we'll pick it up again next week. But I want us to just talk about what we're seeing now. So it's been pointed out, and I think there's some legitimacy to this, that we are seeing the assembly of what, what many call an unholy trinity. In other words, this is a dark mirror of the trinity that we see. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And here we have Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Now, if we're going to be really noodly with this and, and try to make connections, I think we can. If you don't if you don't buy it, that is okay. It is not important. But for those who are curious how people connect these dots, we can see that God the Father and Satan are both kind of heads of their respective trinities. Um, you know, we see that Satan is giving power to the Antichrist. He's giving authority to the Antichrist and, and to the false prophet. You know, just like God the Father is the one who, although equal— in majesty with Christ and the Holy Spirit, God is the one who is kind of the head of their trinity. Likewise, we have Christ and the Antichrist. They are both sent, they are both given authority, and they are both worshipped by their followers. And again, th- there's this, this clear black and white division. It is either Jesus Christ or it is the world. And then finally, we have the Holy Spirit and the false prophet who we see throughout Scripture, you know, both are calling people to worship the second member of this trinity. You know, the Holy Spirit is bringing us to a knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ. He is, you know, once saved, he is our seal of salvation. He is helping us to become more like Jesus Christ and less like the world. Meanwhile, this false prophet is doing signs and wonders, likewise driving worship, driving awe to this beast, to the Antichrist. Now, whether you think that that is really happening or not, whether you think it's actually, you know, a a dark mirror of one of them, what we can all agree on as we're seeing this is that Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, they have a clear purpose, and that is to demand worship of the Antichrist. They are calling for all the world to be theirs, to, to, to worship them, to honor them, to be in awe of them, and to basically walk in obedience, we see that they hate God. Not just they do things that aren't godly. Literally, they hate God and they hate his people. And so within this world that they are creating then, we see, like I said, this unambiguous divide. We have God's people or we have those who, as Revelation says, those who dwell on the earth, those who are not saved by the blood of Christ and those who are deceived by the false prophet into worshiping this beast as a God, whether that's literally a God like we think of our God, or if it's a God like people simply just worship celebrities and and politicians, whatever it is, it's going to be a global event that's going to set everyone against God's people. It's not going to be like today where, you know, people are going to, oh, make fun of us and, oh, kind of get into debates with us or hurt our feelings. No, it's literally, we are going to be hated in every possible sense of the world, (laughs) every sense of the word by the world. And again, it's going to be global. It's not going to be, you know, like it is today where, you know, there's some countries where you can, you know, worship freely or worship with, you know, people thinking you're kind of weird. But then there's other places where if you worship Christ, you're going to die. No, think of the the countries we see now where you have these underground churches, where you have people who are having to, you know, worship Christ in secret. That's going to be the world globally because the entire world system is going to be set 
directly and purposely against God's people. So we're going to have no freedoms. We're going to have no protections. Everyone is going to be okay with us going to prison for worshiping Christ or being executed for worshiping Christ. So we have to be so careful when we start trying to find the signs of the Antichrist or even the mark of the beast today because we don't have a world that is that clearly divided. We still have a world where a lot of us can be saved by the blood of Christ but still live like everyone else. We can have people not really realize what our lives are truly like and and what it is that we believe. We are not yet in a world where no matter where we go, if someone knows we are a Christian, we are in great danger because we don't have a world right now where we are literally left with no choice but to choose sides. Are we going to serve God or are we going to serve the beast, the Antichrist? Because that is what he's all about. He is about devotion, loyalty, worship. He is about setting himself against God. He is, you know, the picture I have is him literally looking at God, smirking and saying, look at all these worshipers I have. Look what I'm doing to yours. I'm winning. You know, that's that's genuinely, I think, the, the kind of world that we need to picture, one that is so divided that you are literally team Christ or team beast. And so understanding that picture of the world, understanding a little more clearly what Revelation is actually saying about the Antichrist, one, we need to ask ourselves, do we really have an Antichrist today? Is there an Antichrist that is so obvious that all Christians everywhere know that they either have to stand for God and worship Christ or worship this person? I don't think there's anyone on the world stage right now that is even remotely close to that. But at this point, I think we can leave off here and be ready to talk about the mark of the beast, better understanding that if the beast wants worship, if his whole goal is to be adored, to be devoted to by everyone that does not belong to Christ, if we understand that about him, now we are ready to talk about the mark of the beast. And we'll do that in the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ.